Welcome back to another edition of the Great Lakes Divide podcast with Tom Crawford. I'm Ryan Schuling. The Gap Band, you dropped a bomb on me. You heard coming in. You can find it and all the all-time soul R&B and classic hits at the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Proud sponsors of the Great Lakes Divide podcast. Our friend Heather Frary is there to serve you. Open six days a week, and if they don't have it in stock, they can special order it for you. It takes 24 to 48 hours, but Heather will make sure she gets it in her store and into your hands as soon as possible. It's that personal touch of local business. We appreciate her support. Now, number eight, Wisconsin did drop a bomb on Michigan State to the tune of a 38 to nothing demolition derby. And we'll talk about that in the second half of our podcast, including a response from head coach Mark D'Antonio in the postgame press conference to one of the reporters gathered there that has garnered some attention and will merit some discussion between Tom and myself. The Michigan Wolverines, on the other hand, I guess you could say as much as you can in a 17-point victory that they held on for a 42-25 win in Champaign over Illinois. Head coach Jim Harbaugh had this to say after the Wolverines' road victory. Don't have all the all the stats, you know, at uh, my fingertips right now. But uh, what I do know is they just keep fighting, and uh, there was a big momentum swing there. Um, third quarter, they uh, they made some plays, um, and we did turn it over, and uh, our guys rose to the challenge, and uh, they were they were they were tested mightily, and uh, and uh, they did a great job, didn't flinch, kept playing, kept fighting. So Michigan, a tune-up test between Iowa and now going on the road against the Penn State Nittany Lions. That'll be a Saturday start time, 7.30, under the lights, whiteout conditions, and I'm talking about in the stands with the fans for the Penn State Happy Valley Faithful. And that game, again, will be televised on ABC. We bring in Tom Crawford. Tom, first, your thoughts on the comments from Coach Harbaugh. We heard them earlier in the week about the offense you know, hitting its stride, so to speak. And for a while here, this looked like it was going to be a no-drama affair. And then things got a little dicey once the second half hit. Uh, your overall broad strokes. <laughs> well, you're good with words, right? Thanks. <laughs> um, I got to tell you something. This is, you know, I mean, Jim Harbaugh, will, you know, will put frosting on, on a cupcake that's, you know, covered with mold. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, and you're just not going to get anything more um, from him compelling in terms of, uh, of the concerns, this is a, this was a disconcerting victory, Ryan. For me, and, and you know, to Sans maybe the Wisconsin game um, when, when they got blown out. Um, I I'm I'm more discouraged now, almost at that level of what happened, the twenty-eight nothing lead, and then you let Illinois, Illinois, mind you, rattle off twenty-five unanswered on you, and and you put this game on, you know, in jeopardy. Uh, which should be, you know, this is a very, very marginal at best. This is just a bad Illinois team. Let me let me go further than that. Um, and and I, I, I just, I, I'm really, really frustrated with what the status of the Michigan program is right now. Next week, with, you mentioned the whiteout and ABC national TV college game day announced this morning. They are going to be in state college. Oh, my God. Daunting is an understatement. This season moving forward looks really, really scary and dicey at best for the Michigan Wolverines. You're right. The schedule does pick up as it hits its second half for the Wolverines. They go to number 10 Penn State. They host number 9 Notre Dame the week after. So you got back-to-back showdowns here for the Wolverines. They travel to Maryland, and anything on the road, as we've seen, even at Illinois, could get interesting. Then it's home against Michigan State. 
a team that will likely be the walking wounded for more reasons than one at Indiana. That's the one game that Tom actually picked up as a loss this season is kind of a surprise up and comer, that tweener game uh, between Michigan State and then, of course, closing the season with Ohio State. But, Tom, let's focus on what went right in the first half because then maybe we can dissect what went wrong in the second half. It was really toward the end of the first half. You know, they're up 28 to nothing, as you mentioned. And I'm looking at this going, it's going to be a mirror reflection of what we saw in the Rutgers game. They're going to run away with this, stomp on the necks of their opponent, win at 52 nothing, just like that one. But then it turned. I, Illinois, rather, had a touchdown at the end of the first half. So it's 28-7 at the break. And on the next three successive drives for the Illini, 10 plays, 31 yards, they score a field goal, cut it to 28-10. 15 plays, 80 yards, they score a touchdown. They cut it to 11. And then after a Michigan fumble, they go six plays, 36 yards, put another touchdown on the board, get a two-point conversion, they cut it to three, 28-25. Tom, what was going right in the first half that Michigan went away from in the second half? Well, obviously, I mean, the first half, remember we talked last week, and I told I told you that Illinois has yielded 600, to, or 600 yards combined rushing the last two games. I said, if Michigan can't run the ball in this outfit, they might as well just give up the whole concept. And they did make that a commitment early on. They had 162 yards rushing in the first quarter, Ryan, and then they ended up, you know, they ended up with 295. Hassan Haskins emerged as a, as a you know, a solid option at running back. He had... 12 carries, a buck 25, and Zach Jabonet had 116. That was all well and good. But all of a sudden, when you bring True Wilson in there, because Charbonnet, he fumbled the ball, so you take you, you take Charbonnet out because he fumbled a ball, uh, and you put True Wilson in, who was basically an Ivy League running back, and he coughed up the football. If you have an Ivy League running back coughing up the football, you got problems. So, I mean, that turned the game. That His fumble in the second, and then all of a sudden, the momentum – started shifting, and it it was just really – the defense is really concerning me, I mean, because of what's looming ahead with, with Penn State. So, yeah, I mean, it, you take away Jordan Glasgow, that block punt, oh, my God, they could have easily lost that game. I mean, you know, you think about that. Michigan had the big lead, and they bring Ben Mason in. Every time Ben Mason comes in on offense, something happens bad. We saw that Wisconsin, and, he, and he, you know, he had a uh, – you know, he dropped, you know, it could have been a touchdown. He missed the ball. And then he, he hit a late hit, which moved the ball back. And now all of a sudden he missed a field goal. They could have moved it up to 31. I mean, it's just everything went bad. Then Illinois scores at the end. It, it's just, it. I'll say it again, very discouraging. Yeah, and I'm thinking too, Tom, what if the Wolverines don't get that block punt and, and flip the field and are able to put this oh, game sh- on ice? I, this, this could have easily gone the other way. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and Shea Patterson is just, he, he just doesn't, I don't know. He just, you know, he, he looks good sometimes, but he, he just, he's, he's not that good of a quarterback. I mean, he is not anywhere near I envision him to be going into the season. I mean, when he was at Ole Miss, man, he, I saw some footage of him. He was ripping it up. I saw, I remember seeing him on a couple of SEC games. Like, man, that dude is good. And it ended up me going to Michigan, uh, but it's not parlaying into this Wolverine system and I you know I you know when you when you turn the ball over this fumble the 17 lost you know 17 fumbles and they've lost nine I mean I don't care how good you are efficient efficiently I don't care if you, you pay your OC a million bucks and Josh Geddes and he's creative and all this stuff if you cough up the football 
you're going to lose to good teams. You're going to get blown out by great teams. And they could get blown out next week if they turn the ball over. Shea Patterson, 11 of 22 for 194 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. This was a run-dominated game for Michigan, especially early on, as Tom mentioned, two runners, Haskins and Charbonnet, going over 110 yards in this game. But both teams turned over two fumbles. Time of possession was relatively even. Illinois really hurt themselves with 10 penalties for 95 yards. And I guess uh, one of the good things coming out of this is that Michigan was able to shut down yet another very good running game. And I think with the exception, and this is going to be the exception for a lot of teams out there of Wisconsin, that they've been able to do that in large part against opponents this year, including just a week ago against the triumvirate of running backs that Iowa had. In this game, Dre Brown just eight carries for 39 yards, Reggie Corbin nine for 14. So uh, encouraged at least somewhat, Tom, by the fact that the Wolverines did not allow Illinois to run the ball. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's Illinois, okay. So let's just let's just go away from that topic. <laughs> so it's Illinois running the football. I mean, my God, you should be able to stop Illinois running the football. You know, this defense, and and we got encouraged last week, Ryan. Obviously, with, with that, you know, that effort against Iowa, but Iowa can't move the ball across the street. We saw that again last night. But I I, I think the secondary is going to be the demise of this Michigan defense because. The, for some reason, you know, eventually push comes to shove, they can't cover guys. And even with a lot of experience back there, and I shudder to think of not just the shallow crossers from the Ohio States of the world, but but just, you know, post corners and everything else in between. When they had a, when they go against good receivers, they're going to have problems. And, and there, there's some good receivers, obviously, next week against Penn State, um, obviously with Notre Dame. And, and Michigan State's got good receivers. And then, obviously, Ohio State, we don't even want to think about that game. Brandon Peters was ruled out of this game due to injury, is what we were told. And Matt Robinson, the redshirt uh, freshman, comes in and goes 16 for 25 for 192 yards through the air for Illinois. And a touchdown, not a big factor in this game. And, and really, you, you know, Michigan invited I would like to say Illinois back into this game, Tom. It was like they felt lonely and the Illini were down 28 nothing, And then all of a sudden, like you mentioned, I mean, this game started going sideways on that second fumble by the Wolverines. Uh, your thoughts of the performance by the Illinois quarterback? Oh, yeah, he was good. You know, he threw up for almost two hun. I mean, um, well, Michigan makes quarterbacks look good. You know, and part of it is let, let's go back to what happened. I mean, they looked on it they looked uninterested in coming out to the second half right this team does not play inspired football this team and i saw this clip from mgoblue.com that shows the michigan when they win the game you know like all schools they all teams they they sing the fight songs so they're singing the victors in the in the locker room and oh my god it looked like bertram hill's you know you know senior center singing the victors i mean oh, no. the, the, there was not a lick of enthusiasm or testosterone in in that fight song, you know, version thereof. I I, I just don't know. I, I don't know what's wrong with this team in terms of playing consistent, inspired football. I we finally saw a dose of it at homecoming in, in, in Iowa with that defense. We 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 finally that was the first version we've seen all year long. But now it completely went away again. That's coming off a win at Iowa. And, you know, if they don't, I mean, they're going into the, this is a stretch drive and it is all there for the take. I mean, it's, you know, they're not going to, I mean, they're going to get swatted. They, they'll probably lose three games moving forward. Hmm. Um, at least two, 
I, I, if you would ask me the, these daunting four games, and, I, and I'll, I'll include Michigan State in there, even though Michigan State's not a very good football team, but they will play inspired against Michigan. Uh, although, if you could give me two of those, oh, my God, sold. Sold. I would take two right now. Wow. And here's the other thing. I mean, I'm not trying to make excuses for Michigan, but this was the first of two what I would consider to be trap games on their schedule between Iowa homecoming, the emotion of that, going on the road to Penn State. There's no bye weeks in between. Then they got to go to Champaign, a very sterile atmosphere and environment to play football. They got their other trap game we've talked about later on at Indiana between Michigan State and Ohio State, their two biggest rivals coming to Ann Arbor. But in this particular game, what really puzzles me, Tom, is I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, that they came out flat in the second half and they didn't shift into overdrive. They didn't have a killer instinct. Uh, they're singing like seniors. in, the, And I'm talking about senior citizens yeah. in the post-game yeah. locker room. Bertram Hill's great reference by you with Hail to the Victors. But they did come out in this game and jump out to a 28-0 lead. So was it just kind of immaturity here on the part of the Wolverines thinking, now nah, we got this game in the bag. It's just like records, like I said. And they just didn't finish the job. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Michigan challenged themselves that we have to run the football. I mean, in, on that first drive, they didn't throw the ball one time. I mean, this was like Bo Schembechler, you know, back in the in the seventies. We're running the football, damn it, and they ran the football right down their throat, and they were getting you know six, eight, twelve yard chunks. Yeah, I, you know, I think that I think that was a game plan objective and, and a focus. But in terms of inspirational football, I mean, I, I just didn't. I, when you look at I look at the sidelines a lot. I mean, even when I'm watching on television, I'm always looking at the ex, you know, the extremities of the game, if you will, and and what I'm seeing at the sidelines. And and when when I'm physically there, I'm always looking at the sidelines. And this team does not, unlike Wisconsin, what I saw yesterday. I mean, no, that the, the, those guys are engaged. I mean, you can tell. I mean, my God, someday I'd love to have the Michigan program be like Wisconsin. I can't believe I'm saying that, but that's the way it is. I mean, I just don't understand why Jim Harbaugh, with all that fire and brimstone that we saw when he was at Stanford, does not did not roll over to Michigan. It didn't. It just it not even close. Maybe a little bit in the you know early on in the game, you know, in, in, in 15, 16 campaigns, but in the last couple of years, his teams do not play with fire overall, and I think that's missing. And it, and it parlays both on the O line and the whole defense as well. And I don't get this, Tom. I mean, you're as immersed in Michigan football as anybody I know. And for you to be coming out uh, with this uh, really harsh criticism as to their overall effort level going into a football game, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a balance here, again, between a team that's overhyped, overpsyched, and plays with too much emotion and then goes out and gets a whole bunch of stupid penalties. I mean, we saw that for Michigan State, for example, in the John L. Smith era. And you want to you rein that in. You want to have a, a controlled burn if you will. And for Michigan, like you said, they have everything in front of them. Sure, they got the one loss at Wisconsin. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of their season. They run the table. They're in Indy, and they probably get a rematch against Wisconsin and probably have a path to the playoff. It's all still right there. It, but, but how do you explain that, Tom? How do you explain that lack of fire? Ryan, I can't explain it. I don't understand when you have everything. Every talks about in college football or any era in life, control the controllables. You only can control what's ahead of you. Their schedule makes this an entirely controllable situation to reach all of their goals. Big Ten title, birth in Indy, Big Ten championship, birth in the CFP, and who knows, who knows what happens from that point on. 
Everything is there, yet they're playing like they're a two and four team, like there's nothing at stake other than maybe the tax slayer bowl if they run the table. I mean, I don't understand why this team does not play more inspired football. Now, early on in the game, I saw actually a couple of aggressive plays where Josh Uche, Uche I mean, I might have been a late hit, but you know, I could take that. That's an aggressive play. But this team in the second half just epitomized lack of discipline. I mean, not not throwing, you know, not hanging on to the football. It just all the way around. It just they just looked. They didn't execute. They looked like they they looked disinterested. That's lack of discipline and accountability. I don't understand where that's coming from when you have the third highest paid coach in college football and you have two million dollar coordinators on both sides of the ball. What, what is this? What we're getting for this? What the 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 value? The dollar value is not showing up right now. Well, that's the Michigan Wolverines in a 42-25 win at Illinois. So, you know, total package takeaway from this. Tom, I'm sensing a lot of dread and anxiety for you going to Happy Valley. Now, this is a Penn State team that went into Iowa, I think, proved a lot of things. This was their first win on the road against a ranked opponent under James Franklin. We hear all the time about Michigan struggles on the road. Now, they get to come back home. That's the one big thing here against Michigan, and, and what a test that will be. But I guess your takeaway from this Michigan win overall, and then your takeaway from, I'm, I'm imagining you got to watch a lot of that Penn State-Iowa game, the Nittany Lions going into Iowa City and beating Iowa 17-12. Ryan, I was a total slug here yesterday here at Crawford Indoor Stadium. Nice. Man. I mean, I watched college football literally from noon to midnight. And I mean, I, I was going too wide. I, I've cut down to just too wide. I can't focus on more than two games. And I had one on one string. Obviously, my, my primary game on Saturday night was Penn State and Iowa, and they did it. They did it exactly like I thought they would do it. Workmanlike, wear Iowa down, knowing Iowa is. You know, you're you're going to be just going to be able to play field position because their offense is just horrible. Penn State's got a really good defense. Penn State has a balanced team. Penn State has a complete team, and I. Uh, boy, Michigan, you know, I mean, D'Antonio talked about he had to play a perfect game to beat Penn State. Michigan's, Michigan has got to play not maybe a perfect game, but darn near perfect game to beat Penn State, uh, in, you know, in, in Happy Valley next Saturday night. And again, that start time will be 7.30, ABC. A lot of crazy things can happen. I've seen it firsthand. And Michigan State now, keep this in mind, went down there and beat Penn State a year ago on a miracle play. This might have been the, the beginning of the end, and this is where Brian Lewerke told me that he hurt his shoulder, and it, it didn't really show in that game. But then if you think about it, that touchdown pass he threw to Felton Davis was was vastly underthrown. It was. It, it might have been yep. why it was caught, and then Felton did the rest, and the Spartans kind of laid the groundwork, provided the template, if you will, as ironic as that sounds, Tom, a year ago if you watched that game. And now, you know, Trace McSorley being gone, et cetera, it's a totally different team there at Penn State, a very good team. Let's not make any mistake about that. But uh, are you comforted by that fact that a Michigan State team a year ago that was uh, not great was able to do what I just said? No, no because I think um, Michigan brings out uh, the best in everybody. And I think when Penn State has college game day, when Penn State has a whiteout Saturday night, Herb Street and Fowler are behind the microphones. Those students know that they know the entire package. They know the national championship opportunity is right in front of them. 
No, 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 no. They, they, they're going to play at another level. Everybody plays at another level when they play Michigan. I mean, everybody hates Michigan. I mean, we saw the Muck Michigan shirts all over the student section at Illinois. Everybody hates Michigan. It's just like everybody hates Texas, you know, for some reason in the Big 12. I don't know what it is. But anyway, I, I think Penn State's going to be ready to play. I don't think they were ready to play Michigan State. Michigan State, if you're not ready to play them, in normal situation, not so much this year, they're going to go on the road and not be intimidated, and they're going to pluck a victory, and that's what they did last year. We'll have much more on Michigan's travel to Happy Valley against the 10th-rated Penn State Nittany Lions. They're likely to go up in the polls this week, as are the Michigan Wolverines, you would have to assume and expect with their victory over Illinois. And again, just that one loss on their docket, and that was in Madison against Wisconsin, will return to the scene of the crime for a second mugging in just a moment. But we want to remind you that the Great Lakes Divide podcast is brought to you each and every time out, every time you hear it, by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. All the great classics, all the new music on Friday, each and every Friday it comes in, located in the Rio Town Marketplace south of 496, south of downtown Lansing on South Washington. It's just there on the left if you're heading southbound on Washington. You can find parking very easily. You can stroll inside, take a journey back through time, or take a look ahead at the future of music all on vinyl, all at the Record Lounge in Rio Town with our good friend Heather Frary. And oh man, it's Katie Bar the Door time in East Lansing for a Michigan State Spartan football program that has lost its way. I don't think there's any other way to say it. Coming out of a 38 to nothing shellacking at the hands of the Wisconsin Badgers. This was, it might as well have been Kent State instead of Michigan State playing in Madison. That's how bad this performance was, this game was. I mean, start to finish, there was nothing to hang your hat on as a Spartan fan at all, whatsoever. And in the post-game press conference, Hondo Carpenter, interesting guy, uh, has his own website, covers the team, uh, usually asks some, I think, pretty soft questions of Coach D'Antonio. But every once in a while, he uh, wields a sharp one. And he did in this one. Not sure if Coach D'Antonio expected it, but he sure didn't like it. Here's his response. Was it a mistake to not bring in new offensive staff? And if not so, how do you fix it? Well, I don't think you talk about, I don't think we ask those questions right now. We're six, seven, seven games into the schedule. I think that's sort of a dumbass question, quite honestly. Yeah. A dumbass question. Well, uh, Tom, I've got to say, I'm, I'm not one to jump to the forefront to defend Hondo uh, <laughs> usually, but <laughs> I don't think that was a dumbass question. In fact, I think a lot of Spartan fans are asking that very question. Tom, I asked that question at the end of last year, going into the spring, when it was announced that Again, as I put it, they were just rearranging furniture on the Titanic. They're going to put Brad Mason in charge of calling plays. They were going to demote Dave Warner. They're going to move Jim Bowman around from one old man rocking chair to another, I guess. I don't know. But what I do know is this offense is so listless, so hopeless, so devoid of confidence or any kind of semblance of a plan coming into a game against an opponent like Wisconsin. And I'm going to quote myself here. And we're going to go back to the tape. I don't usually do this, and I'll do it for Tom when he nails it. But this was a conversation I had with Tom Crawford just this past week in our preview of this game and, and listened to how chilling and hauntingly accurate it was, unfortunately. But this is what scares me. It's not only the ability of Wisconsin to limit the run, and, and Tom, you saw that firsthand with the Badgers against the Wolverines in Madison, but the linebacking core and three studs out of a 3-4 alignment 
all of whom have three or more sacks. Jack Sanborn with three, Chris Orr with four, and Zach Bond with six against this patchwork Michigan State offensive line. I think Brian Lewerke is going to get hammered early and often. I don't think he'll have time in the pocket. And if he can't set to throw at all, it's going to be very difficult to be one-dimensional just trying to run the football if they can even get off the blocks there and win the battle in the trenches. I don't know that the Spartans, I'm not going to say they're going to get shut out on Saturday, but my confidence in them scoring points at all against Wisconsin, Tom, is very, very low. Now, in fairness, Tom, I didn't stay with that prediction on that sentiment where I I believe this could be a true butt-kicking in the sense that I wasn't sure that Michigan State could score at all against Wisconsin. Little did I know how right I was. I had a final score of 27-14, but that turned out being extremely charitable, and it played out exactly how my worst nightmare envisioned this being and, and why I said that at the time, and Tom, you and I talked about this, was because of what happened and how it happened against Ohio State. And who would know that that would be the better effort between, between these two games when the Spartans had a chance to kind of pick up the pieces from what happened in Columbus, put something different together, and they're going back to running jet sweeps. They can't find an open receiver. Brian Lewerke has no time in the pocket. I mean... Take me through what you saw from the early stages of this game and when you knew that it was going to be a train wreck for MSU. Well, I thought Michigan State had a chance of at least competing uh, when they, when they had the fake punt. Uh, but then, uh, but, you know, and all of a sudden the, their bench looked energized and such. And then, but then they ended up going backwards with a couple of sacks. And I knew, okay, they're they're checking out, right? I mean, this is you know, this could be ugly, you know. And boy, did I did I miscalculate this game. Ryan, I mean, I, I mean, come on, twenty. I had twenty-eight, twenty, Sparty. I mean, what was I thinking? What was I drinking? What was I smoking? I mean, I don't understand. It. But I had vi- envisioned historically the historic element of Michigan State under Mark D'Antonio that they will go on the road and 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 win a game that they're not supposed to win. Even you know, back in pre, you know, previous to D'Antonio, the Nick Sabans of the world, the Perlises of the world, were able to do this. But this was my word. This was a manhandle. In Madison, and I, I just, you know, I, I don't know what's wrong with this team. They can't do anything offensively. They're a joke. They can't get the running game going. And then their defense is just wearing down right now. And and I don't know if there maybe there's some locker room things. When you get trade, you know, transfer portal things going on like this, maybe, maybe there's other things underlining that we fans and media aren't even aware of. There could be, Tom. And let's take a look by the numbers. It's it's as bad as you would think it would be in a 38-0 defeat. Time of possession was nearly 2-1. to one. Favor Wisconsin, 39-plus minutes to just under 21 minutes. The Spartans threw two interceptions, turning the football over. Now, one of those was late, and it wasn't Rocky Lombardi's fault. That was the one glimmer I saw coming out of this game was that last drive that yeah, Rocky Lombardi orchestrated. Drive. It was. And what does he do? He makes the, the mortal sin of hitting Cody White exactly in the hands, both hands, <laughs> uh, with a perfect pass that Cody White simply batted up in the air like he was setting for a volleyball spike, and it turns into an interception. And right there, Tom, summed up not only the entire day for Michigan State, but to me, the entire season to this point. It's just like, really? You couldn't even get that right? And it, and it's just, it's been a season of drops. I've been a season of missed reads, overthrown passes, lack of protection, I mean, we, we could break it down even further than that. I mean, they couldn't run the football at all. Their leading rusher was Tyreek Thompson. Yes, that Tyreek Thompson. 
the linebacker, one carry for 20 yards. Elijah Collins was bottled up to the tune of eight carries for just 16 yards. They had 30 total yards rushing. Brian Lewerke was seven for 16 through the air, just 53 yards himself. Total offense for Michigan State, drum roll please, 149 yards. They had seven first downs. They were two of 14 on third down. Wisconsin, for their part, only committed one penalty for 10 yards. You could say, oh, home cooking. No, there's no home cooking. They were cooking it themselves. They were cooking the Spartans over a live spit on a bonfire. That's what this was. And for Wisconsin, how about Jack Cohn? I mean, <clears throat> Tom, you and I were downplaying this guy. He's not Justin Fields. He's not that. He had 18 of 21 completed for 180 yards and a touchdown. And it's it's just like every game for these Badgers. Like, they don't need him to do a whole lot. But when he's called upon, he was dropping dimes on this Spartan secondary. He really was. Yeah, he's more than a Trent Dilford type guy where he just manages the offense where you have a juggernaut defense. It's beyond that. I mean, he executes. He makes the right throws. He made all I mean, all those tight end drag play, all those I mean the the, the ball was right on the money. But I want to go back to your initial point and the you indicated about, you know, the Hondo Carpenter question that he posed to Mark D'Antonio about, you know, not making changes and, and looking back and he said, and now if you if you if you if you if you if you did go back and and still are, are here to what 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 changes do you need to make moving forward? I thought it was a fair question. Uh, and but Mark D'Antonio's reaction to it goes back to what we saw in the field. He's 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 really defensive right now because he's frustrated. He's as frustrated as the fans are. And I think Mark D'Antonio, when you when you look at the fact that he's 15 and 16 in his last 31 games, he's 24 and 22 since his team got rolled in the in the CFP by Alabama, ironically to the tune of 38 nothing. I mean, I, I I just think that I, I think his frustration in that little bite, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that bad, but I you don't say don't say dumbass over the air when your school has kind of been under scrutiny of doing the right thing morally and ethically in the last couple of years. I mean, I, I don't think, I think you make sure that's clean. And when the Big Ten Network, BTN, Dave Repson comes out and says, the Fanny Pattern Network, and says it's a legitimate question, that's compelling stuff to me. Spartans trailed 17-0 at halftime, and uh, they're probably lucky to even be that close in this game. They punted every time they touched the football. Uh, the, the Spartan offense was completely lacking. They went three and out three and out, six play drive that only went 13 yards, three and out, three and out. And then again, they had a 12 play drive that darted around the field at the, to start the second half. It went 39 yards. They end up punting. And then the backbreaker to me, the game was likely already over, Tom, but Wisconsin you know, puts together an eight-minute, 46-yard drive going 92 yards on 15 plays, scores a touchdown. This was right after Michigan State went in reverse you remember they they lost yardage twice on sacks, uh, and then another time they they're pushed right out of field goal range. That was a dagger. But the pick six, the throw by Brian Lewerke that was intercepted. This is rudimentary Pop Warner level football stuff with Zach Bond just sitting right there in full plain view. Should have been in right. the vision of Brian Lewerke. He throws it right to him. It's a 34-yard touchdown the other way, and that's all she wrote. I mean, uh, 31 nothing would end up being 38 nothing. but just the, the, the body language, the listlessness, the looks on the faces of the Spartans on offense. There was another time, Tom, I want to get your thoughts on this, 
where the sideline reporter forgot who it was, but did a great job with this goes down and Dave Treadwell, who now coaches the receivers for Michigan state was oh, asking yeah, Don them. Treadwell. Yeah, Don yeah. Treadwell, Don Treadwell, sorry, who, who coaches the receivers for Michigan state asked them. So what coverage are you seeing? What are they doing? Are yeah. they bumping run? Are they pressing? And they're just staring at him. They don't know. They don't know, Tom. They had no way of telling him what they were seeing on the field. How is that possible? You know, I, I thought that was a ter- that's a great point, Ryan, because I thought that was terrific reporting. I mean, eavesdropping, you know, and it wasn't giving away any proprietary information, but it was it, it really was it really said it all. And this, you know, in fairness to Michigan State, this is what Wisconsin has been doing to everybody. You don't know where you don't know what's coming at you. When it's coming at you, and I'm, I'm talking about in secondary play, linebacker blitzes, the D-line, the twist, all this stuff. Wisconsin has got this stuff down to a science. I, I, I just don't get it. And I thought, I thought the, the I, I mean, I laughed out loud. Matt Millen, I, Matt was doing the uh, color, right, yesterday? That's Matt correct. Matt Millen. Yep. And he goes, um, <laughs> I laughed out loud. Yeah, this Wisconsin defense, yep, young, inexperienced, still learning. Really? <laughs> okay, they might be all that. Can you imagine if that's what they are right now, how good they can be in the next couple of years? How good they can be in the next couple of games? I mean, I'm going to ask you <laughs> flat out, Tom, we've both seen them up close and personal, and each of the teams we follow got their doors blown off. Michigan, of course, their worst performance of the season, but I think this says a, a great deal more about the Wisconsin Badgers, the quality of this team. I mean, they're 6-0. and They've pitched four shutouts. Michigan, one of only two teams to even score against them this year, the other being Northwestern in that 35-14 loss going back. I mean, if you would have told me before this game, hey, Ryan, Jonathan Taylor is only going to have 26 carries for 80 yards. He's going to have 3.1 yards per carry. I would say the Spartans, if they don't win that game, they're right in in that game. The fact that they weren't. I mean, how good is this Wisconsin team, Tom? Because I'm starting to think this is it's one and one a with Ohio State. Well, yeah, they're good, uh, but they're uh, that one and one A. They're definitely one A. They're not one because I think what's going to happen when they go to Columbus and the fact that's in Columbus is a huge issue. I think the speed is going to be the difference maker, and Ohio State's going to win that game. I'm not going to say it's going to be hand, a handily kind of win, but I see a ten point win for the Buckeyes. As good as Wisconsin is, I mean, the thing about Wisconsin, though, their formula. And granted, they've been playing the Central Michigans and the Kent States along with the Michigan, Michigan doesn't, or and Michigan State doesn't even matter. I mean, they do the same thing, but they've outscored their opponent one fifty two to three in the first half. So jumping on somebody, stepping on their throat. And getting that and, you know, basically conveying to that opposition, you have no shot of winning this game. I think that says a lot. I mean, the fact Michigan State was only down 17 nothing in the first, what was actually a pretty good accomplishment. It could have been worse. They hung in there, but you just knew it. You, you just knew that Michigan State offensively was not going to threaten Wisconsin in terms of getting back in the game. The Badgers will take to the road another one of these sandwich trap games in Illinois. The new no. start on Big Ten Network and running clock. Right, call that thing off. That'll be that'll be brutal. Well, then the, then it gets real because the following Saturday the Badgers travel to Columbus to face Ohio State in what truly could be and I think will be the first of two matchups this season for the Badgers and the Buckeyes. The other going to be in Indy. If I had to, you know, put all my money down on one square, that would be it. Michigan State, meanwhile, they have to mull on this. They have to chew on this. They have to stew on this 
for a bye week that will lead into a home contest against Penn State. Maybe the Wolverines will do the Spartans a favor and beat Penn State up a little bit before they make the trip to East Lansing. But what goes on, Tom, over these next two weeks in East Lansing? There's so many questions. I mean, Hondos was one, but it wasn't unfair. The, the thing that I kept saying before the season even started was, okay, well, Brad Salem's calling plays. You don't have a lot of new talent infused into this roster on offense. Now they lost Connor Hayward and Ladarius Jefferson. Their offensive line, which I warned about coming into this game against Wisconsin, was going to get taken behind the woodshed. They were beaten like a drum consistently. Lewerke was pressured and hit and sacked, and it was a joke. This offense is incapable of playing at a high level against any opponent worth its weight in salt, and yet no changes were made. No Josh Gaddis was brought in to call plays. No no creativity to change an offense that had aged terribly since 2015. I mean, you could see this prime run by Mark D'Antonio being uh, clearly etched now in stone. It's 2010 to 2015 and everything thereafter. The, the Holiday Bowl season 2017, that was an outlier. That was a complete departure from what we've seen the 3-9 and nine season. Last year during the seven and six season, this season now at four and three heading in that very same direction. So my question is, you know, in, in all honesty here, Tom, where does Mark D'Antonio get off? Where does he get the audacity even in this current state of the program with the offense just laying an egg, literally a goose egg, 38 nothing in Madison to pop off at Hondo about that being a dumbass question when that was the smartest question that needed to be asked in the room at that moment. And, and it pains me to say that about Hondo, but it's true. If he wasn't going to ask it, I'm, I'm sure as hell hope that Chris Solari or Matt Sharbin or Graham Couch would have because that's what everybody's thinking. That's what is on every Michigan State Spartan fan's minds right, right now is why didn't you make any changes on offense? This is a disaster. How could he not be prepared for that to know that if he if he doubles down, triples down, quadruples down on his current staff, he's going to have to answer for them when the, the rubber doesn't meet the road? I'll tell you why exactly, Ryan, because he, it, it, Hondo is typically a slow pitch softball pitcher. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he I mean, he, uh, let's be real. I mean, he's he's fan media for Michigan State. OK, he usually gives D'Antonio the softball ass kissing question. This was so refreshing. I couldn't even when I was watching the, the presser on on live on BTN, I go, is that Hondo's voice? that just said that I had to check myself because he typically right. He doesn't typically say that kind of a question. And I think what it did, it, 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 it kind of took D'Antonio off guard. That, oh, my God, my own guy, my own in-house guy, my own in-house media is is laying me up. To, you know, with, with this compelling question, I think that had, you know, a lot to do with it. But I'm, moving forward, though, uh, this this bye week, I want to touch on this real quickly, yeah, Ryan. Yeah. You have, you know, you know, the bye week. Everybody says it's good, and it probably is good to get ready for, for for Penn State. But say they they have this bye week, and then when you have idle time, you get players thinking about things, and you know, it's really hard. It, it takes a really good coach to you know to circle the wagons in that scenario. But say they go and play Penn State in front of a I would think a cynical crowd, and I think a lot of people selling tickets, and that Penn State audience is going to come in there. It's going to be a lot of Penn State fans. Say they got rolled in Penn State. Then they have another bye week to stew in it before they finally get a chance to re redeem themselves playing Illinois at home, and that's when you get $4 tickets at Spartan Stadium. I mean, this schedule that lays out – 
and this ridiculous double buy in the span. You know, you're playing one game in three or four weeks. This is crazy stuff, and I think this is really going to hinder Michigan State even more to try to dig themselves out of this mess. I got to continue again with this line of questioning on D'Antonio's response because he, he acted offended that Honda would ask such a question about the staff seven games into a season. I mean, we're past the midway point here, Tom. You iron out the kinks. You get stuff worked out. Michigan did it against Middle Tennessee. They still have their issues. Don't get me wrong, but they're 5-1. and one. They found a way to that. And for, for Mark D'Antonio to be uh, so righteously outraged that he would be asked that question at four and three, seven games into a 12-game slate, having just gotten waxed by Ohio State and Wisconsin, the class of the conference, among whom Michigan State used to count themselves, but now they're at best, and probably not even, a second-tier team in the conference. I mean, I, I, again, I don't understand, if it, unless it's just pure, raw emotion and frustration boiling over for D'Antonio, and that you know Honda was just collateral damage in that. Yeah, and I, and I think if he had stopped short uh, and just said, no, it's I, I feel it's not appropriate to talk about six games, and then stop, period, don't throw the dumbass part of it. And this is what Harbaugh does. He stops before he does that. But if Harbaugh, and I posted this the last night, yeah, yeah. if Harbaugh made that, if, if Harbaugh made that statement oh, right now, oh boy, oh my God, he would have got his he would have got his ass lit up by fans and media from all all nationwide. The poll, everybody would have come on. Mark D'Antonio almost has a cult-like following at Michigan State. It really is. I mean, I you know I'm seeing fans come out here. I mean, he could drop, he could go four and eight the next three years, and. Some, he's got a contingent of fans that think he's the greatest for what he accomplished beyond, beyond four years prior. But don't you think the numbers among those ranks, Tom, is dwindling? That Yeah, there's, there still is, and I saw it on Twitter. They were I going see up. a lot of them. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's my circle of uh, Michigan State influence around me, and maybe they're all the, the buy-in type of people, and – Come hell or high, no, I still think he's a hell of a. I mean, I go really okay, fine. I mean, and do you think it's dwindling? Then is that what you're saying? Well, I think uh, the confidence among the the middle of the base. You got your diehards, like you said, they're going to be in no matter what. You got your skeptics that are going to be jumping off the bandwagon early. But those fans in the middle that were with him through thick and thin, that endured three and nine, and said, "Hey, that's a one off. We'll see what happens." Oh, we go ten and three. We win the Holiday Bowl. We crush Washington yep. State. That all looks good. But then last year happened, and now this year is happening. And I think Mark D'Antonio has spent all his capital from the, what was built up over 2010 to 2015. And you got to say it, what plays into it as well is what's happened off the field with Austin Robertson, Corley King and Vance. He's going to have to be deposed for seven hours come January. That's We've huge. talked about that, yep. Tom. And I'm just saying, like, at this point, you know, does he see the forest for the trees? This is not going to be turning around anytime soon. He's 63 years old, and does he just step away? I think it would require him to voluntarily step away, but I don't think Mark D'Antonio, although he is very prideful in his, his, his work, his craft, I don't think he has a lack of self-awareness to the point where he would go, no, I, I could fix this. It's fine. He knows it's not fine, and Spartan fans know it's not fine, not anywhere close to it. East Lansing, here's the thing. Tom, as we wrap up this conversation, Lewerke's leaving, and that maybe that's a good thing. And maybe Lombardi should start the rest of the year. Their big-time aspirations, those are gone. With that loss, they're done. They're oh, yeah. shooting for a middling bowl now anyway. Why not yeah. let Rocky get those snaps? So Lewerke's gone. You got Joe Bocci, Kenny Willekes, Raekwon They're all gone. Oh. How, how does this get better for Michigan State next year? It doesn't. It well, can't. No. 
No, because I think Michigan State fans, what's looming in the back of their head is that, you know, they felt that they, in 2012, they wasted a great defense in that 2012 season. They, I think they felt the same way last year. They wasted a great defense. This is the defense. This is a creme de la creme of defenses. This was this was like historic defense that Michigan State has going back to 65, 66 with Bubba and George Webster. Yeah, and that and you know, and that kind of caliber of defense. And now th- these cats are all gone next year. I mean, so when you get into a season ticket holding buying and all this stuff, and people, you know, they're they're fed up with this stuff. Then you know, they, there could be some, let's say, rats, you know, jumping off ship. Indeed. Well, just to look back at the Big Ten week that was Penn State, we mentioned one at Iowa, 17-12. That sets up for the showdown in Happy Valley this coming Saturday against Michigan. We'll give you the details in just a moment. Indiana at home rolls Rutgers 35-0. In a bit of a surprise, Purdue absolutely waylays Maryland 40-14 to in West Lafayette. The Terrapins, uh, maybe not as good as people thought they were as a middling team in the Big Ten. That surely didn't play out against the Boilermakers. And then Going to ask you this as we wind up, Tom. Are you finally believing in Minnesota? <laughs> they won at home 34-7 over Nebraska. Oh, God. I, I go, is Ryan going to bring up the Gophers? Yep. You think he's going to bring up the Gophers? Oh, my God. Yep. I mean, they're, I mean, yeah, I, I still think they're going to drop three of their last four. But I'm I'm, I'm telling I'm saying that, that was impressive last night. I, you know, I went, I, I jumped over a little bit and watched that over there on FS1 a little bit. And I go, what the hell? You know, they, they were blowing them out, and their fans are engaged. It's the perfect size stadium, mind you, also for that for that program. It's, you know, it looks filled a lot. And it's not too big, and it's uh, – hey, PJ's got it going on. Uh, this is a great season for Minnesota on their standards, obviously. And they're 6-0, and just like the Wisconsin Badgers. Those two will tangle at some point in the not-so-distant future. And, of course, Wisconsin, their tune-up with Illinois before Ohio State two weeks from now coming up this Saturday. The Spartans are off a bye after their 38-0 loss in Madison to Wisconsin. We'll have much more on the state of the program. Uh, We'll have highlights from Mark D'Antonio's press conference on Tuesday in our Wednesday night recording of this podcast. And, of course, a full preview could be a top 15 matchup with Michigan going on the road to face Penn State. That's going to be a 7.30 kickoff on ABC. So that'll do it for us from here for now. For Tom Crawford, I'm Ryan Schuling. Our sponsor, as you hear us going out, is the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Our thanks to Heather Ferrari, her and her employees for their support of this podcast. We encourage you to tell your friends to subscribe, download, and listen. The Great Lakes Divide podcast. We'll talk to you on Wednesday, everybody. Have a great week ahead.